You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we are reviewing Pandorum, a movie from 2009. This is a sci-fi horror flick in the vein of Alien or Prometheus, which came out three years later, or even Alien Covenant, which came out in 2017. However, we wanted to pick this film because sci-fi and especially sci-fi horror is some of our, I'd say it's at least my favorite genre, but I think you like it too. Is that correct? I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of both. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're Star Wars fans, so sci-fi, and then we watch a lot of horror movies. It goes hand in hand, so it's really cool when they sort of meld those two together. And um, I mean, pretty much anything like this is inspired by uh, Alien, which came out in the late '70s, which you saw when you were how old? Eleven. Eleven. Wow, things were different back then. It came but... out in 1979. So, <laughs> but I digress. So uh, we're going to do our usual thing here, but I do want to tell you what streaming platform it is on, and it is on Tubi for free. We did not use Tubi. <laughs> we did not have it. That's good to know now. However, the cheapest places to rent it are on Amazon Prime Video, uh, Google Play, and I believe YouTube, and that would be $1.99 for renting it. So pretty good deal over there. Over at Apple, movies and TV, it's going to cost you about $3.99, so... Maybe don't head over there if you're trying to watch it for uh, the best possible price. However, um, yeah, I'd love to be able to uh, hear some high-level thoughts from you. But first, I want to cover uh, that the smaller details of this movie and a bit of the plot. So this movie was directed by Christian Albart. This is a uh, German sort of uh, movie, I believe. It wasn't, um, it wasn't entirely like American produced and made, but it stars Dennis Quaid, Ben Foster, Cam uh, Gagandet, uh, Anchete Tro, and uh, Norman Reedus in a supporting role. Yep. Um, sorry if I uh, didn't say any of those names uh, correctly there. But uh, it was also... Quite correctly, and Norman Reedus. Reedus. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so the film was actually poorly received as a box office flop, but it says, despite this, it's garnered a cult following within the past years as an underrated gem. And that's why I wanted to watch it. So the small plot synopsis here is that after human uh, overpopulation depletes Earth's resources, humanity builds an interstellar arc, the Elysium. It carries 60,000 people on a 123-year trip to colonize Tannis, an Earth-like planet. The passengers are placed in hypersleep and a rotating crew biennially, biennially, they wake up biennially uh, to maintain the ship. Eight years into the mission, the ship receives a transmission from Earth. You're all that's left of us. Good luck, God bless, and Godspeed. So obviously a pretty interesting plot by any means. And uh, once I was able to sort of get the general synopsis of the film and some recommendations online, I decided to pull the trigger and uh, watch half of it a few months ago. And uh, now that I've rewatched it as of today, and my dad has watched it as well, I want to know what you thought of the movie. What do you think? Well, I'm glad you provided that synopsis because I had not read that beforehand. And I was also uh, interested in discovering how you learned about this film because I had never heard of it. And you had 
clearly been um, interested in watching it because you mentioned it several weeks ago. Um, what did I think of the film? Yeah. Well, I think the concept of uh, one of the things I liked about the film was it sort of um, chronicled the Earth's population in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then in, I don't know, 2020. And then... 2084 and clearly it was just that the population was growing so much yeah that um earth's resources were being um diminished yeah by the population growth and consequently this was necessary what did i think of this film mm-hmm. um i did not like this film so um i think ultimately i did not think this film was um well constructed Mm-hmm. at all I, I thought i have to say to you there are two scenes that i thought were memorable the rest of it i thought was um poorly executed i thought the acting was horrible i have never seen dennis quaid in um i've never seen him less believable than i saw him in this film and <clears throat> i thought that the editing it was a shame that there was clearly no editor to this film um, perhaps that's how they managed to make the film uh, on such a, a, a minuscule budget. There was, or perhaps the editor was incredibly overzealous with some of the cuts in this movie. It, I, I just, you know, I wanted to like this film. I watched the trailer and uh, did you watch the trailer before you saw the film? I didn't because I just usually don't go for the trailer, but that might actually be a good, um, it might actually be a good thing to do before we watch our movies. Now that you've seen the film, you can watch the trailer. I watched the trailer and I'm here to tell you the film is far better than the trailer. No kidding. That's saying something since I didn't like the film. Um, You know, it's just to your point, all of these films are an alien ripoff, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, And again, conceptually, I thought it was interesting, but the execution was just really poor. And I was really surprised by the acting. I just thought it was it was beyond bad. And, and so explain to me, what exactly is Pandorum? It is, a, it is a condition? It is a psychological or nervous condition? What is it? Yeah, so um, we can, this is not quite spoilers, but Pandorum is a psychosis-based um, sort of, I guess, disease or um, something that uh, happens to people when they're in space. So obviously, uh, there's room for a little bit of plot armor there because most people have not been in hypersleep or space for an extended amount of time. And it causes people to, um, uh, it induces psychosis on people, you know, they see others who aren't there. They hallucinate, they imagine things, they act incredibly irrationally without a moral compass. And it essentially turns them into a ticking time bomb. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what Pandorum is. And, uh, it's not necessarily explained how you get it. If it's just a condition that people randomly get sometimes, but I believe they said it's triggered by a certain trauma that somebody may have gone through in life. And that's where it kind of exaggerates. So, um, that's kind of more understood towards the end of the film, but I'll give my thoughts before we go into complete spoilers. So I watched about half of this movie, like I said uh, before, maybe about 52 minutes um, a month ago or so, two months. I thought it was just fine. Um, I thought it was 
you know, perfectly competent. I didn't think it blew me away or anything like that. Um, but I'm glad that I rewatched it today from start to finish because I think the latter half of the film is far better than the first half. Um, I think that they showed the monsters too quickly. And I thought the monster slash creature design was kind of lame, but the overall story makes sense in the context of it. But um, yeah, I, I I liked the concept a lot because it's fascinating. That's kind of what makes these movies sci-fi horror films. I'd say the first half was a little bit boring. You know, it's kind of they're feeling their way out of um, amnesia and uh, getting out of hypersleep. And, you know, it's very much a survival-based thing. There's a lot of mystery surrounding it. But I feel like that lasts for maybe 20 minutes. And then you kind of have an idea of, like, what's what the whole movie is going to be about. They have to get to the reactor and whatnot, this and that. But overall, I thought the film was perfectly fine. I didn't hate it. And I think the latter half um, really brought my understanding and appreciation of it more. I wouldn't say it's among the greats by any means, but... I thought it was perfectly solid and I can see why it has a cult like following. I mean, time, there's been enough time uh, to sort of get away from it. Uh, it came out, what, 13 years ago or so. And I can see why people appreciate it. So I didn't hate it by any means. I can absolutely acknowledge it has many flaws. But at the same time, I mean, I thought it did some things differently. I thought it did some things poorly, but a decent amount of things pretty well. But it's just not to be taken too seriously. I'll say that much. Okay. What did you think of the acting? Um, sometimes it's it's kind of hard for me to get mad at acting in almost any movie anymore, unless people are really, really just praising it up and down. But um, I I thought it was pretty wooden. I I've never thought Dennis Quaid uh, turned in a good role from the movies that I've seen him in, and I'm you know I'm sure you think differently in some of the stuff you've seen him in. But I feel like once he hit a certain age, he started kind of phoning it in with some of the films that he chose or his agent chose for him. Um, I thought the lead who I believe is Ben Foster, he did a pretty good job overall, but you could tell he was a real rookie and, you know, not everybody is cut out to be a leading man. Right. Um, and then I, you know, I thought the rest of it was just kind of cookie cutter characters, right. You know, one notes sort of people, I thought they did perfectly fine in the roles overall, but I mean, it wasn't anything to write home about. I didn't think it was nearly as bad as Peggy Sue got married in some uh, aspects uh, of acting. But, you know, it was it was just cheesy and a tacky horror film. You know what I'm saying? It, I, I kind of I don't think it tried to take itself way too seriously. You might have gotten a different impression, but I think I was able to check my expectations at the door as soon as Dennis Quaid started talking. Um, I think I mentally prepared myself for that. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay. I are we ready to move into spoilers? Because I got yeah. okay. All right, let's move into spoiler territory. You know the deal. Uh if you want to watch it, pause it and watch it as soon as you can and then come back. If you don't want to watch it, listen on with us as we tear into the spoiler-filled territory that lies ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So what's up with the fact that he encounters the first person that he encounters? is the the woman who speaks german and he doesn't understand her and i mean obviously she is trying to survive too so she's mm-hmm. you know brutally, brutally violent um in, mm-hmm. in 
trying to either take him down or shush him. Like she said, take off your boots because obviously they make noise and the creatures will hear you. I think she wanted to steal his boots as well. Okay. So what I didn't get was how is it that she didn't understand him? He couldn't communicate with her. And then 15 minutes later, they were having regular conversations. That was, wait, wait, wait. Then we meet the man who speaks Vietnamese with whom he cannot communicate at all for five minutes. And then all of a sudden, by the way, he was the best character. um, And all of a sudden we can communicate with him too. There were so many inconsistencies that either one, I may not have been paying attention because I just didn't care or two, it was just so poorly developed that, you know, all of a sudden after a few minutes with each other, we can now communicate effectively. So I think there's some validity. The bond were, uh, which is survival. I think there's some validity to what you're saying there. But I think in the case of the woman who was surviving, who was one of the main characters, she probably just didn't want him to know that she could speak English because she probably didn't see him as somebody who's going to last for a very long time. I think she just kind of wanted to phase him, uh, take some of the survival gear he had, and then, you know, just leave him completely. Uh, so I think she didn't want to establish any connection or bond to herself that they could communicate because I think she was just thinking it'd be a one and done thing. And, you know, he'd be a goner as for the Vietnamese man. Um, yeah, that was a little bit more, <laughs> that was a little bit more unbelievable because um, on the one hand, you would think that I'm guessing that this ship had mostly English speaking colonists. And of course, there's going to be many people from different walks of life who are multilingual, but it seemed like no matter what he was going to be, there was going to be a language barrier, right? Um, With what you were saying, but uh, he kind of started perfectly communicating uh, with the characters afterwards. And uh, I think that was more just plot convenience, perhaps, or understanding, um, you know, when he was understanding how to survive with them and whatnot. So I don't think he had a motivation because he was helpful from the start. He wanted to, you know, he was defending them and he wasn't being, um, uh, I guess, violent against uh, the main character. So I figured that he was already friendly and it turned out that. Which is in part one one of the reasons I say he was my favorite character or he was the best character because I thought he was both helpful uh, and um, as a result, it was somebody that you were glad that he had encountered yeah i agree with that and i will say that that guy had the probably the most sudden and um unceremonious death how the well, that was honestly my my one of my two favorite scenes in in the movie because it actually well, surprised you right well it actually surprised and and of course there were multiple periods of time in the film where they were sensitive even though these creatures were um how would you savages creatures savages yes no. They were, um, the humans were uh, uh, concerned about um, the, the youth, the young savages mm-hmm. or the, the, you know, the children. Well, that didn't work out so well, did it? <laughs> it's a tip. If something is savage, whether they are young or old, they are savage. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that to an extent, but I appreciated how it showed the morality of it. I mean, when you're in a situation like that, all bets are off. It's a lawless place. You don't know what's going on around you. I like that human nature uh, just paused them for a second, even though the grown versions of those savages were just ready to tear everyone apart and just keep hunting. Um, 
I appreciate that, you know, they were just like, it's, you know, it's a child. They saw it as, you know, something that hadn't lost its innocence, perhaps. Yeah. And I, I thought I, I thought that helped in terms of um, some of the mor- moral compass that they were describing here and there uh, throughout uh, the film. And especially when Dennis Quaid got uh, Pandorum. So I, I think that stood towards the character's benefit that the leads ultimately, even though they knew they had to survive, still were able to find the good in people and were able to maintain that moral compass despite such a challenging life or death situation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that might just be me giving it too much credit. Um, One thing I really liked about the film was the aspect of them not knowing what was happening and then sort of the little twist. That was super cool. So Earth, they thought they left it because it was overpopulated, wasn't doing too well. They're going to pop uh, They were going to populate uh, this new place. And they thought it was going to be an 123 year journey. They didn't know when they woke up. And it turns out it had been 923 years yeah, since they had left Earth. So nearly a millennium since they had um, actually, you know, left. But, you know, so every earth was destroyed by some catastrophe that they didn't necessarily uh, go deeply into. But I also liked the idea that at some point there were people who did wake up along the way mm-hmm. and they had to find their own way. And the twist was that Dennis Quaid's character was actually Gallo, the guy that he saw in his visions. And because he wandered into the person he killed escape pod afterwards and had amnesia, he figured he was um, Peyton instead of Gallo. But I thought it was kind of interesting because he went crazy on a lot of the other ship's passengers and he essentially created these savages, right? That was the idea. Um, They were infected with Pandorum and they it's interesting to see how humanity can devolve when you don't have all these life of all of life's conveniences and what we know today, you know, a society, uh, so to speak. So I thought that was a really interesting part of it too. And he just kind of like had his way with uh, some of the survivors, whether it was good or evil, he just kind of did what he want out of his psychosis, but he didn't know he was the bad guy until, um, you know, Pandorum sort of swept over him once more. So he was this, you know, he was this figurehead of evil. And I liked that little twist too. Um, Dennis Quaid has definitely played good guys and bad guys. And I thought that was convincing enough, you know? I thought that was convincing enough to be able to sort of be like, oh, wow, okay, you know, something new is coming up here. But then again, some of the expository elements of the story where they just take a second to explain everything, you know, it kind of, they kind of had to do that. And I felt like it could have felt a little bit more natural, but I thought the concept, like what you were saying, when you think back on it is actually pretty good and maybe not entirely original, but very creative. So I appreciated that these beings are nearly a thousand years old, like each one of them. I mean, it it was crazy to think about and finally they had this uh, ship that they were in the elysium it was this ark it was like noah's ark right and it yeah. crashed into the sea of this new planet yeah. and they weren't still in space right so they had been underwater for hundreds and hundreds of years and then finally they were able to repopulate with 1213 people and they called it year one 
So that was that was pretty neat to me. I, I thought that was a cool little twist. Um, and I, I thought that played out well near the end. So uh, overall, I mean, I appreciated how that was executed, even if it was flawed here and there. And let's just give a quick shout out to Norman Reedus, who had the quickest cameo ever. <laughs> he might have been on screen for five minutes before he got gutted. Um, but Norman Reedus has never been a convincing actor to me, uh, in my opinion. What, what do you think about that? A whole lot more convincing than Dennis Quaid. I mean, from the moment Dennis Quaid came out of the tube, uh, or came awake or uh, awakened from hypersleep mm-hmm. i knew he was the bad guy i i just knew it i mean it, there's just the way he was acting it w- and i thought to myself if he's trying to uh act as though he's not the bad guy he's doing a very bad job you can tell i was not convinced by the performances in this and consequently yeah. i could not really get on board with this entire film i would say the other scene that i did like though was when um the the savages were asleep and the main character is is having to crawl across them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I wasn't quite clear on why he had to crawl across them, but I mm-hmm. thought it was terrifying to think because that they were sleeping, right? You know, they were they were sleeping, and he was he was managing to like literally climb all over them while they slept in order to get where he needed to be. And I thought, I don't know exactly why, but this is craziness. But yeah. it was exciting in a film that had very little excitement for me. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of combat to this film. And one of the things, one of the things, I don't know why it irrationally annoys me is when every character is like a martial arts expert. Like it's, it becomes a little bit more cheesy that way. They've all got, you know, their knives and they're doing the spin kicks and all that kind of stuff. Like I get that you need to survive and whatnot, but it just seemed like a little bit funky sort of tonally clashing in some ways but i mean i thought some characters did it pretty well but um that aside i want to go over the concept of the creatures real quick because i think we've said this time and time again less is more they were on screen so much and whenever we saw them it was this super crazy jump cut of them just prowling or something really didn't like the jump cuts at all and in alien you don't really see the creature for the first 40, maybe even 50 minutes of the film. And when you do, it's incredibly sporadic and it's for a second or two. I mean, there's of course the chest burster scene where you see the tiny alien uh, sort of, you know, run out of the room and whatnot. I'm still getting over that from when I was 11. Yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, especially at the time when that just didn't exist. Um, But I, and there's also in the director's cut of alien, there's a silent scene where one of the crew members is in this sort of, you know, room where it's kind of like um, dank and it's like a sort of like pouring down uh, condensation and there's chains up at the top of the ceiling and he's looking up. And in the original film, he just looks up for a second and just kind of looks around. And then in the director's cut, which is what Ridley Scott wanted to originally put in there, um before the theatrical uh release and whatnot you can see the alien for the very first time silently hanging in the rafters but it's shot and framed so that you really you're surprised but you're not entirely sure what it is but it's completely silent and i think that's where we get the most effective horror is when the mystery is there and things are shown very sparingly because when it's always in your face it becomes less scary each time you see it. So 
three words for you. Yeah. Less is more. Absolutely. Yep. That's the point that Actually, I was trying to convey. More, because I mean, if, if you, if we see it too often, it, it's just not exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that was the brilliance of, of alien though, is it was uh, subtle. Um, and because of its subtlety, it was terrifying. And that creature was something like you, you had never seen up to that point before these creatures. I felt like we had seen them. I couldn't remember exactly what other film I'd seen them in. And I'm not sure I had literally seen them in another film. Yeah. Yeah. They looked, they resembled creatures I had seen in, in a, you know, a dozen other films. Yeah. And I mean, ironically, these alien clone films never really get the tone or similarities right in terms of how subtle Alien was with its um, horror. Yeah. Weirdly enough, like not even one has really gotten close. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, this is my unpopular opinion. I think Aliens, when it went bigger and badder and it, you could see the Aliens pretty often, I'm really not a fan of that film. I've watched it three times and I've made my decision. I just don't, I just don't think it's that great because nothing can touch, like nothing can touch the action horror of the first. It's just so good. And I feel like these movies that came after it all suffer from that same problem, mm-hmm. um, even if they're received pretty well. Yes. So yeah, I mean, that's my thoughts on it. Overall, I really liked the concept and how it was finally sort of came to its conclusion. I thought it was cool, but the film is, I think, better than the sum of its parts, I think we say. Um, I know you didn't like it, but I thought it was notable, but not necessarily memorable. I thought it was a very long one hour and 48 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, it did uh, seem like a pretty hefty runtime, but that's probably because I watched it twice. Um, but yeah, regardless, um, how many Z's would you give it? One. One? Oh, well, note it's to self, stop, rep- stop recommending stuff to you. Um, yeah, I would probably give it, Don't I want to say more than two. Don't you give it more than two? No, I think I'm going to give it uh, three Z's because that equates to, uh, no, I'd say two and a half. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. I didn't I love it the entire time I was watching it, but I was pleasantly surprised in some areas. And there was some good stuff to enjoy if you're a genre I'm really fan. glad. I know you've been busy this week, but when you hadn't watched it, I thought, oh boy, he really can't get through it. Um, I watched it in two different days. And um, you're right. The first part is just, it's just boring. Um, um, the second part certainly picks up, but the, how should I say this? The plausibility is is so low that, I mean, I'm I, again- I oh, you mean the plausibility of a 923-year journey uh, after Earth blew up with savage off. creatures in the <laughs> ship and Dennis Quaid suffering from uh, space psychosis? Well, the plausibility of Dennis Quaid performing as if uh, I was convinced <laughs> at all that he was uh, at all someone that I cared enough to watch on screen. Fair enough. You know, I, I mean, I can totally understand that. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, that has been our verdict <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> We're on to bigger and better things or smaller and better things next week, right? Uh, yes, it just depends on, I guess, well, I'm sure Kenobi has the budget for one episode, probably rivals that of this entire movie. But um, yes, next week we are watching uh, Kenobi. And by next week, I mean, we are releasing an episode about it because it's coming out on Friday. Is that correct? Two episodes coming out on Friday. Chances I am- are I will be waking up early to watch it. I am so excited about this. I am so ready. I mean, oh my gosh, Ed, I'm probably going to watch it 
in the morning and then in the evening once I get back from work. <laughs> I mean, I'm so ready for it. And I really hope it lives up to expectations. I know that's things mostly never do, but I don't know. I think I'm just going to like it more because I'm so ready to see you and McGregor back on that role. Yeah. Star Wars. Christensen as Anakin. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest. The more I think about the book of Boba Fett in retrospect, it was just disappointing. It just wasn't that great. It was was best when it was the Mandalorian. Exactly. And that's the problem with it, though. It's literally titled the exact opposite thing. And it was stolen by uh, the Mandalorian in terms of just, you know, scene stealing in that way. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of plays to that uh, affect. But um, yeah, overall, uh, thank you for listening to the review. But do you have a recommendation to I, check out? I do. So, you know, I'm not much of a concert goer, um, as you well know. Right. But I did go to a concert this past week, actually last Monday. And um, so Luke and I went to see Casting Crowns. Uh, Casting Crowns is a contemporary Christian band, uh, which is very popular still. Yeah. You never told and, me uh, what you thought. Oh, uh, they were great. They were so, so good. His Better than your last one? No. Jeremy Camp is still one of the best, if not the best concert I've been to. It was fantastic. Yeah. But that's because um, there was an energy in the mm-hmm. Jeremy Camp concert that didn't exist in Casting Crowns. I would say the opening act, We the Kingdom, had more energy. Um, my friend Matt was with us, as well as Luke. And, and we it was, it was a terrific show. It was a great show. Um, but it was... Um, you know, a little, a little more subdued, I would say, than, than the Jeremy Camp concert. So anyway, my uh, recommendation is Casting Crowns, worth checking out. Um, contemporary Christian music, I know you have often said, Noah, that contemporary Christian music all sounds the same. I would say there are some standouts, and I have been to two concerts this year um, that have been standouts. So my check it out is Casting Crowns. Well, if you're talking about the genre, I mean, you know, we loved Jeremy Camp when he released his stuff and Casting Crowns is probably the most famous name in the business for a reason. I agree. Yeah. All right. So um, off of that, I will, my check it out is going to be a little bit of a PSA. So uh, I have gone to many loud concerts in my uh, life, but some of the loudest ones that I've ever been to uh, have been recent and they've been indoor. So if you're going to an indoor concert, whether you are my age or whether you are my dad's ripe old age. Um, <laughs> what, is, what is your age, Noah? I am 24. I am just in the prime of my life right now. Haven't even developed my prefrontal cortex fully. So that happens at age 25. Oh, but, okay. We got three months. How about you? How, how old are you? I'm 53. <laughs> Awesome. And very happy to be 53. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm still ready to be in my 20s. Yeah. Um, but regardless, it's really important, uh, no matter your age, to wear headphones, or not headphones, to wear um, earplugs. Because I have tinnitus. I hear ringing in my ears sometimes. I love rock and heavy metal music. And I love blasting my music in the car or on my runs when I'm working out. And it's really important to uh, save your hearing for later because you don't want to lose it. And this happens the most when you are front and center at uh, concerts. Uh, doesn't really matter the genre, really, but especially when you're at Well, when I went to Slipknot, Jacob and I walked out of uh, the Coliseum and we could not hear one another for a good 15 seconds. It was, uh, it was that deafening 
to walk out after three, four hours of that and, um, you know, try talking to one another. Um, and a rock concert clocks in at 120 decibels. In general, sounds above 85 decibels are harmful. So if you like listening to your stuff loudly, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, it's good advice to be able to sort of level out your music listening. Whenever your iPhone gives you that notification that your headphone volume is too loud, you might want to listen to it. Uh, So that is my check it out, just in case you're going to a loud concert or, you know, listening to your music at a pretty high volume when you're just walking, working out, this and that. All right. I like it. Cool. So uh, you get to choose, I believe, the next two movies because I have given you two flops. Um, no, and- not flops. What was the last one? 28 Days Later? Uh, <laughs> that was fine. Um, but you did Peggy Sue Got Married, right? I did, which was fine. Uh, what was the last one? What, what have we loved? What have we reviewed that we've loved? We both we loved, loved three billboards, billboards outside of Interstellar. Interstellar was great. And um, we didn't love True Grit. No. What was, uh, we thought the Batman was pretty good, right? Uh, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, I did not like. I liked that one. Yeah. Um, there's one in between there somewhere that I thought we thought was okay. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, oh my gosh, what was it called? It was the one with Donald Sutherland. Oh, Ordinary People. I like that Ordinary one. People. That was a good one. That yeah, was that really was a really good one. one. Yeah. So that was my last pick. So, all right. Well, we'll have to talk about that offline because we've got Kenobi for next week. Uh, and then we'll go from there. All right, cool. And once again, remember, this is free on Tubi and uh, $1.99 on Amazon or YouTube or Google Play. And do not pay for it. Go to Tubi. (laughs) Or better yet, find another movie to watch. Oh, my goodness. You are so cynical. All right. uh, We don't have our next movie in mind? No, because we have Kenobi next week. Well, I'm saying after Kenobi. We have so many choices. We want to narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds good. But uh, yes, next week is Star Wars. And then it's going to be sequel month after that. So that's right. That's right. June, June is sequel month. Yes. Because of all the blockbusters that come out, we want to see how their their successors stack up. There are going to be some theater theatrical releases too, that we're going to review. You just don't know it yet. Do not make me see Top Gun Maverick. Do not make me do that. As long as you go see Jurassic Dominion or whatever it is. Deal. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. All right, cool. Uh, So thank you very much for listening to another episode. Our limited Zoom plan is saying that we have just (laughs) over two minutes here. So we got, I guess that really incentivizes us to wrap up rather quickly. But uh, we'll be uh, back next Much to the chagrin of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be... um, back next week with a new star wars review of the first two episodes of kenobi super exciting and then we'll do a full season review once it finishes uh so that will be within the next five or six weeks or so yeah but cool um i'm noah i'm greg and this is easy talk